a playlist original. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cheetan Explains, the show where I talk about my favorite nerdy series of movies. And by extension, your favorite too. I am your host, Keaton Chetty, and today I'm going to explain Jurassic Park 3. There is no other name for it, it's literally called Jurassic Park 3, I guess. Now, I hope that you've been enjoying everything so far and that you've had a lovely week, or at least a better week than I have. For context, I got sick twice in one month, October and September, three times technically. The second time was worse. I injured my Achilles tendon and I can barely walk, but I am here to talk about dinosaurs. So I hope you had a good week, because I have not, my god. I don't want to run too much about my issues, but just know that if you hear an ow in the episode, or like a, it's because uh, I hit my foot on something because I can't sit still. So yeah, let's start. And also, I know I shouldn't have to say this because the movie came out 21 years ago. It is legal in every single country in the world. But heavy spoilers are coming your way for this movie. We start with the Universal logo, but we're back to not having normal music with this intro. Can they just make up their minds, please? The music, it's subtle, almost makes you think you're watching Batman. Then the water starts to ripple like footsteps from a T-Rex, and we get the Jurassic Park 3 logo with Wolverine claw marks, so you know it's the third one. We fade into an island and the text says Isla Sona or Ilia Sona, whichever one you want to say, 207 miles west of Costa Rica. Isla Sona is the same island that we visited in Jurassic Park 2. And then we see Restricted in red. It doesn't really matter the conversion from miles to kilometers because literally every other person in the world uses kilometers except for America. I did the conversion in my other episode about Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World, and then it dawned on me that that literally makes no difference to whether or not you enjoy the story. So, no conversion this time. We see a plane flying over the island area. The people looking up at the plane with binoculars on a small boat. Because, well, they're not actually allowed to be sailing this close to the island. Because remember, restricted in big red, so we don't forget. The boat captain is hooking two American tourists to a paraglide. If you don't know what that is, picture reverse fishing, where instead of throwing a line into the water, you're throwing a line into the sky because it's attached to a parachute. And the people are kind of the bait in this example. I'm not saying that we're using people to catch birds, but I am saying that in this scenario, the people would be considered the bait in the fishing example. You know what I'm saying? But on the parasail, parachute, paraglide, whatever you want to call it, but it's a parachute, there's a boy, about 12, and an older gentleman with a video camera. A very important detail for later. The boat crew let the two boys, who are the bait now, go off into the clouds to fly next to the island with dinosaurs on it. So clever they are. And they are obviously like influencers, so they must record everything. The boat starts going into rough seas and fog. The kid and the guy look down at the boat because the parachute starts shaking and they see that everyone is gone from the boat and they see the boat is covered in red. You can't really say blood because technically the two in the sky don't know that it's blood. They know that everyone's gone, but they don't know that it's blood. They see red. We know that it's blood. But the people in the movie are dumb. That'll make sense later, trust me. So I can't say that they would know, see that it's blood. Sorry. But also on a side note, this kid is so annoying. Just when he opens his mouth, oh my god. 
So many people die in these Jurassic Park movies and I wanted him to go. God damn it. Anyway, they have to cut themselves free and, well, the closest place to land is, well, the one place you shouldn't be landing on, even on a good day. We cut to a kid playing with some dinosaurs outside. And I mean toy dinosaurs, not dinosaur dinosaurs. I understand the confusion. Alan, yes, that same cowboy man from the first movie who kind of looks like Indiana Jones, same, same. He's playing with the kid. Well, attempting to play with this kid. He's at Ellie's house, the other main character from the first movie. Remember them? And the kid is Ellie's son. We have done a huge time jump, might I just add. The kid, Charlie, calls Alan the dinosaur man, which is something I need you to remember for later. Alan is there to have dinner with Ellie and her husband. The plot thickens. Alan's talking about how the velociraptors communicated and the sounds they made, and Ellie says she tries to forget, because, you know, the last time they heard those noises was quite scary. Raptors were smarter than pretty much anything on the planet. They were smarter than primates. And Alan has found what looks like a resonator chamber in the throat of one of the dig sites he's been working on. Now, for normal people who don't know what a resonator chamber is, or a resonance chamber is what it's actually called, a resonance chamber is a space that enhances the sound being made. For example, have you found that there is a weird sweet spot of sound in a bathroom or shower when you say something sometimes? It's just louder and it echoes a little bit more and it carries. That is a resonance chamber. An interesting fact is that we, human beings, also have resonance chambers all over our bodies. Our throat and our chests are resonance chambers. I'm sorry for going full science mode on this one, but it's something that I know of because I studied it. But back to the movie. We cut to Alan and he's having a lecture on the raptors and saying that raptors could possibly talk to each other and communicate better than they could have ever imagined. Everyone at the lecture is pretty much there to ask him about his time on the island and Jurassic Park and the incident in San Diego from the last movie, Jurassic Park 2. If you've been following, all of this makes sense. If this is your first time listening to me, maybe go listen to the other episodes. Might make sense. He says that InGen, the company from the second movie and the company that made the dinosaurs, that they did a cuck job because they were genetic imperfections. They weren't born dinosaurs, they were made. And then someone asks if Alan would go back just to make the conclusions and make solid conclusions about what they are digging up. And Alan says, no force on heaven or earth could get me on that island. After one of the students asks if he would go back. I just want you to remember that this is, uh, say, a Monday. I don't know the actual days, but say this is a Monday that he says this. No force on heaven or earth could get me back to that island. We cut to three guys at a scrapyard testing weapons. I don't know how no one hears them just blowing up random stuff, but it's okay. I also don't know how they got the weapons. Different story. We hear a phone ring, and that's super important for later. The ringtone goes like, Just remember that annoying tune. Just remember it for me. Thank you. The guy that answers the phone, his name is Udeski. And he says that they're ready as soon as the money comes through. Then they blow up a plane, and Udeski says, Nothing to worry about, sir. Again, no one hears them. We cut to a dig site, and one of the guys there, Billy, he's teaching a girl how to dig. And I just have to say that one has to have some serious game if you're flirting with a girl over fossils. Legend. It's Alan's dig site that Billy is working on. 
We've advanced some time since the first and second movies because they are 3D printing the resonance chamber or the resonator chamber from one of the raptor fossil skeletons that they found. And they can project what the chamber would look like and it actually works. Clearly it gives Alan some nightmares because the last time, like I said, they heard raptor noises wasn't a good time. A random man, Mr. Paul Kirby, comes to see Dr. Allen. He asks to have dinner with him and his wife this evening. Paul's wife, because Alan Dorn got time for whammon. He's a man of science, man. They go to a bar and we meet Amanda, Paul's wife. And they ask if Alan could be their guide because they want to fly over Isla Sorna. They say they have permission from the Costa Rican government to fly low. Really low. Low enough that Alan could be a guide to show them, you know, dinosaurs. They've done pretty much everything. And for their anniversary, they want to do something special. They want to see some dinosaurs. Alan is obviously like your bloody stupids. You don't know what happened last time. What happened in San Diego? The Kirby's are saying they can make a contribution to his research in the dig site. And Alan very quickly changes his mind. Now, why does that sound familiar? I'd also just like to point out, remember I said on Monday he was giving a lecture. This was like Wednesday. Wednesday, all of a sudden, money can change his mind. When on Monday he was saying, no force on heaven or earth would get me to the island. We cut to everyone on the plane, which is funny because Alan is cock scared of heights and flying in general. But let me get you up to speed on who is on this plane. We've got Mr. Udeski, our pilot for now. Nash as the co-pilot and Cooper who's pretending to be their bodyguard. Then we've got Paul and Amanda Kirby, Alan and Billy. Alan took Billy because Billy is the only sane one among everyone. He does say that, but I do agree that Billy is the only sane one because what type of crazy people want to go to these islands on purpose? On the flight, Billy talks about his lucky camera bag and how one of the straps saved his life. I want you to remember this lucky pack for me. At this point, I would just like to say that the movie should have ended here. Now let's examine the facts as to why I say that. We already know they're flying over a restricted airspace. They get hailed by the Costa Rican government who they got permission from, but they ignore it, which is weird. After ignoring a hail from the Costa Rican government, one of two things would have happened. One, the Costa Rican government would have sent out their own team to see who is flying this close. Or two, the Costa Rican government would have sent a team to shoot down this unknown aircraft. The movie should have been over right here. And I'm not talking about using realism and logic from our world. I'm talking about using the rules that they have given us in this world that they have created. You cannot say that the airspace is restricted and then just let anyone fly over it. That makes no sense. This all would have made sense if they just didn't put that red restricted line in the beginning of the movie. That makes no sense. But anyway, that's just me nitpicking, I guess, because I don't know. Back to talking about the movie, and they fly low enough to see some dinosaurs. Some real dinosaurs. I love that. And Alan is trying to show them, you know, do his job. But the Kirby's keep saying they don't see anything. They recommend landing, and Alan is like, nah, bro, we're not doing that, and starts freaking out. So they knock him out and just leave him on the seats. Just like that. When he wakes up, They've already landed. And so it begins. Amanda, who I might add, is so goddamn annoying. I hate her so much. She is my least favorite character in the entire franchise. And there are people who have literally set parks on fire and caused everything to fail. And I still hate Amanda more than I hate them. Anyway, 
The only other character that comes close to how much I hate Amanda is the kid from the beginning. But that's my own story. Amanda, using a megaphone and screaming for Eric, Ben, making so much noise. What could go wrong? And then, because of the noise, we hear a roar in the distance. Udeski and Nash come sprinting out of the forest and get back into the plane. They just left Cooper there. Because Udeski says, Cooper is a professional. We hear gunshots in the distance. They start up the plane. Cooper runs onto the landing strip screaming, Please, stop! Nash is still taking the plane forward because we all know you can't just stop a plane mid-takeoff. As they take off though, a huge diner comes in. Nom nom nom, Cooper. That's our first on the kill count for Jurassic Park 3. Now, because they panicked, Nash tried to take off too fast, which causes the plane to go up and then go right back down. And the plane gets stuck in a tree. I really feel like they watched the first movie and just tried to create that one, like beat for beat. You'll see what I mean, if you're a fan of the first movie. They try and get the satellite phone that they have on board with them so they can send word out immediately. The satellite phone is also the one that makes the dee nee 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 and Alan tries to get out the plane, but funny story, they haven't actually landed yet, because remember? Tree. All of a sudden, the big dinosaur boy appears in front of the plane and starts bringing the whole thing down. You just see his eyes through the front of the plane, like, I can see you. The giant lizard rips the front of the plane and just nom 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 on Nash. That's number two on the kill count. The rest of the plane falls back on the ground and the rest of the people are inside the tube as Lizard Boy starts rolling the plane around and breaking the metal body. No, break it, it's fine, we'll just buy another one. So many planes we got, but break it you stupid lizard. This thing is still hunting them even after the crash. Clever girl. Oh boy, I don't actually know. As the big lizard is munching on the plane, everyone just manages to get out of the plane. They run into an open field and back into a thick tree line where the big boy can't really go. But it's not ogre yet. The gang runs into a T-Rex, just minding its business, having lunch, and it starts chasing them, which makes no sense because it was already eating. But this is a movie about dinosaurs. I shouldn't be looking into the logical reasoning of, you know, the world they created, but it's fine. So the gang runs back, but now they stand in between a T-Rex and the big boy from a couple of seconds ago that couldn't get through the tree line. I don't know how he got there now, but it's fine, it's fine. We're not going to question it. The two very big dinosaurs start fighting, because, you know, dinosaurs, I think. I don't actually know the reasoning for this part, but cool. They go at it. The Colossals clash, but this time... Rexy loses. Real tears, okay? Because I love the T-Rex. But in the chaos of the fight, everyone was able to get away. Because that was hectic, my bro. Now, we cut to my personal favorite part of the movies. And that's purely because I don't like the Kirbys. They really, really frustrate me. Just from what we've seen so far, they're snakes, shall we say. But we cut to Mr. Kirby just getting rocked by Alan. Alan punches him so hard, he falls back into the bushes. And as it turns out, the Kirbys are looking for their son on the island. They could have said that before, I'm sure Alan would have helped, but you know, it's fine. They're looking for the son. And they're also divorced. So I can't call them the Kirbys anymore. Sad. Real tears, guys. So they will be Paul and Amanda from here on out. 
They say that they were desperate and they needed someone who had been on the island before. But, eesh, wrong island, hey? Even Billy is like, that was Isla Nublar. This is Isla Sauna, Site B. Same one from the last movie. He doesn't say that. I'm saying this. You know what I mean? So they go back to the plane to salvage what they can. And then they need to go towards the coast because that's the safest part of the island. Also, literally no one is who they said they were except for Billy and Alan, obviously. They never claimed they weren't who they are, which is paleontologists. They run dig sites. And Alan never said that he never went to the islands. Y'all just brought him to the wrong island, you stupid. Paul and Amanda pretty much broke. They can't pay them. Udeski was meant to be a mercenary, but I'm not actually sure what he is. He doesn't say what he is. And if he did, this is not that important to the movie. He's just not a mercenary. He lied. They all lied. Nash and Cooper also weren't mercenaries. I don't know what they were. Apparently they worked for the church. I don't know. As they're walking back, Billy asks what that was, and Alan says Spinosaurus, much bigger than the T-Rex. He also says that a spino boy wasn't on InGen's list of species, which makes them wonder what else is here on the island. It makes me wonder why we never saw this in the second movie, because um, we were on the same island, might I just add, in the last movie. But again, it's not my place to judge. At this point, you probably think I don't like this movie because I'm a little overcritical about this one, and you would be... 100% correct. This is my least favorite movie in the franchise. I hate it. Nothing about this movie makes sense. This is like 90 minutes, maybe 80 minutes if you include the credits, so 80 minutes of runtime of a movie that makes no sense. Completely none of it makes sense. But it is part of the journey. Not everything can be good. It is part of the franchise. I cannot look at the franchise without looking at this sucky movie and this is not me ranting about how i could make it better this is me saying if you're going to put something in the movie and create a world and use the logic in the movie at least make that logic make sense that's all i'm saying but back to the movie amanda wants to split up because she thinks she can cover more ground and she's making noise again even after what just happened but she's screaming uh, uh, they're so annoying uh. while they're walking back they find a parachute from the beginning it's ben's now ben was the guy who was with the kid. And they start screaming for Eric! Eric is the kid, the annoying one. They find the video camera from before, you know, the influencer, they must keep the camera. They see the footage of them landing and Eric getting down. He survived initial impact. Alan asks Billy if he can fly the parachute and he's like, maybe, it's not too broken. Then they start taking down the parachute, just in case, because it could genuinely be something that could help them, even if it doesn't fly. And then a skeleton swings down in front of Amanda, who just screams. Love it. And runs. She runs. Sorry. It's Ben. Uncle Ben. That just makes me sad to think about. God damn it. With great power comes great responsibility, Peter. Oh, Spider-Man. <laughs> Sorry. They send Paul to go after his wife. His ex-wife. Because let's be honest, none of us would want to deal with her either. Because she's still running into random bushes and things. She has no idea where she is, what is close by, what's going to kill her, but no, it's fine. Let's run into the wild. Paul tries to calm her down and just speak to her, but they see something and call Alan. When Alan gets there, we have bigger problems. It's a nest of eggs. And there's more than one. They are everywhere. The nests, the eggs, everywhere. They're raptor nests. They need to get out of here now. And they need to move quickly. 
If you've been here for any of the episodes so far, raptors are big red flag. Big no-no. So they need to move. But Billy was gone for a little bit and gave Alan a small panic attack. He was taking pictures of the nest and he just fell behind a little bit. And Alan panicked because if he loses Billy, he's stuck with the tourists. They keep walking and eventually find a communication center. It's a little bit run down, but it's there. It's the same place from the second movie where all the cuck happened last time towards the end. I bet Eric is in there. I swear, every time Paul and Amanda see a damn tree, they forget there's danger everywhere. But everyone goes inside, and the auntie and uncle screaming for Eric again. The issue is, while they're walking in, we, the audience, see a raptor run behind them in the background. They're still screaming, like they forgot where they are, apparently. While they're walking, they come to one of the labs where they bred the animals, and where they hatched some of the eggs. There are broken eggs everywhere, and they even step on some. Amanda says, so this is how you make dinosaurs? No, this is how you play God, says Alan. So profound, man. As they're walking and inspecting the horror scene that is this abandoned lab, they walk past some dinosaurs still in their embryo state in water, like the way they preserve organs, you know, that kind of thing. And it went from smallest to biggest, so there was just a head. Life-size, so you know, pretty big. Amanda gets really close to this one, just because it looks so real, you know? But its eyes move, and Amanda is like, what? This thing jumps out at them, and I promise if you are watching this for the first time, you will jump too. Anyone who says that they didn't jump at the scene is a liar, because I jumped at the scene. Everyone runs into the facility to try and get out of the situation, not the center, because that makes no sense. The raptor chases Amanda and Billy and gets them in a cage behind a door and pushes them in. Picture a door that can swing completely around and gets stopped because of the wall, and you can hide in the small triangle it makes between the door and the wall. I hope that makes sense. I really hope that makes sense. But the raptor pushes them and starts climbing the cage door because it's like, wait a second, I can go over if I can't go through the cage. But because the raptor's not on the ground anymore, they can push back, Billy and Amanda. They can push the gate back and swing it the other way. Like they were trapped, now they trap it. Only this time they push it into the cage and they lock it. I sincerely hope you know what I'm trying to describe here. They all run out of the place and this thing starts making noise and Alan says, Oh God, it's calling for help. As they all get out and run down the stairs of the center out into the wild, the raptor comes out of the stairs and starts calling for help again. It calls the rest of the raptors and everyone has no choice but to run into the long grass. But there's a herd of herbivores there in the grass, so they can at least try and confuse the raptors. Convenient, because nothing was there when they came into the center, but I guess it's fine. They make it out by some miracle, and they end up back in the tree line. And Alan picks up Billy's lucky pack because he dropped it in the long grass when they were running. They start climbing the trees to escape, but not everyone made it. Alan got separated from everyone, and then we hear Udeski scream in the distance. We cut to Udeski crawling on the floor, and a raptor walks slowly up to him and puts a claw in his back as we hear him scream again in the distance. Some time passes, and the gang, which at this point is just Paul, Amanda, and Billy, but the gang sees Mr. Udeski's on the floor, and they think he's dead. But he's still alive! Amanda is saying we can't just leave him there and tries to get down to get him. 
But as she's climbing down, she loses her footing and falls. But luckily, her foot got caught in the tree because two raptors rush towards her and try and jump to snatch her down. They set a trap. They actually set a trap, says Billy in pure amazement. To be fair, even me, I was shocked the first time I saw this. The fact that the raptors set a trap using Ludeski. It was pretty good, I wouldn't lie. We cut to Alan and he's been hunted by the rest of the raptors. Back to Udeski and they kill him for sport, for vengeance, for justice. We cut back to Alan and he's been surrounded. He's going to die. But a masked stranger throws tear gas in the circle and runs to get Alan and they both run to a nearby bunker. Not really sure how or why the bunker is there, but it's fine. Alan is also still choking from the tear gas, like he's out. In the bunker, Alan knows it's Eric. To be fair, there is literally no one else on the island, so it's not like he has the powers of Batman and logic, but yeah. Alan tells Eric his parents are here looking for him, and even Eric is like, together? Oh, that's not good. See, even the child knows they're annoying. He's annoying too. So clearly, it runs in the family. I know where he gets it from. The gang, which again is Paul, Amanda, and Billy, decide that they can't keep waiting for Alan. So, they decide to head for the coast, which was Alan's idea. And this is exactly what Alan tells Eric, so both teams are going towards the ocean. Somehow, Alan and Eric see a boat with binoculars that Eric had from the bunker. But they're at the top of the cliff. Really doesn't make sense, but shh, don't question it. While they're walking, Eric hears and he starts screaming and running towards the tune. Paul hears someone scream and they start running towards the screaming. Remember that. They are running towards the screaming. Okay? Everyone comes to a clearing and there is a giant fence between them. The gang and Alan. They are now on opposite sides of the fence. This doesn't make sense, but okay. I keep saying I shouldn't judge this movie, but I really am judging this movie. And I'm not even sorry, to be honest. Because they should have done better. I'm, they should have done better. But it's fine. Billy notices Alan has the lucky bag. Alan keeps it they can get to the other side. Paul is like, how did you guys find us? I heard the phone, that stupid jingle. Um, Paul doesn't have the satellite phone with him. So what was everyone hearing? And then Paul remembers he lent it to Nash, who was on the plane and it was on him when he... And right then, the phone starts ringing again and the huge Spinosaurus is standing there, watching them, thinking, mm -hmm. Y'all smell good. Now, to make this make sense, Alan and Eric on one side of the fence with the Spinosaurus. The gang on the other side. Cool. Okay. Somehow, Alan and Eric outrun it and they find a small opening in the fence and get through. Now the gang is all together and the Spino boy is on the other side of the fence. There's a pretty small building on this side of the fence, so they all hug because, you know, safety. But not for long. Spino boy rams straight through the fence. Oh, he's hungry, hungry. Finger licking good hungry. So everyone runs straight into the building and they lock the door behind them. And yes, the door, not the giant fence designed for dinosaurs, but the door keeps him out. Love it. Everyone is inside just taking a deep breath from today's near-death experience. And Billy keeps asking Alan for the bag. Please give me the bag. It's not safe. And Alan opens the bag to discover, dun, dun, dun! Billy was not just taking pictures earlier, he was taking raptor eggs. Billy took three raptor eggs, to be exact. Now we know why the raptors were trying to kill everyone. 
Billy took them to fund some research for future dig sites. But that doesn't really mean anything right now. And Alan says, you're no better than the people who built this place. <sighs> Cold as ice this uncle is, man. There are some steps in the small building that lead down to the canyon and the river where the boat is. But everything kind of echoes and everything's fenced up. It's weird. While they're going down, some of the steps break and Alan almost dies. Again, they come to a bridge and they have to cross, but they can't really see the other side. It's quite misty and foggy. Can't see anything, man. And that's very important for what's about to happen. Alan goes first because, you know, he almost died. So now it's one at a time, he says, just because he doesn't want to die. He says to follow his voice so they can make it to the other side and then they'll know it's safe. One at a time. Alan crosses, he gets across, he says it's safe, he's sharp. Amanda crosses next. She walks like this is not a dangerous place, but okay, sure. Once she's across, she says Eric can go. While that's happening, Alan picks up something that's on the guard railing and smells it like a normal person. Like who does that? He looks up and the bridge starts shaking. Alan sees the clouds and fog start to part a little bit and sees a giant cage. Oh my goodness, it's a bird cage. For what though? As luck would have it, something is walking towards Eric on the bridge. It's a pterodactyl. A pterodactyl, I know how to say it. But it's a pterodactyl. For those normal people who don't know what a pterodactyl is, it's the birdie dinosaurs, the one with like the super long beak, the flying ones. And it grabs Eric and starts flying. It's his time to die, I hope. I really hope he dies. It takes off this big one and it takes him to the nest where the babies are. And now he has to run because let's be real, baby dinosaurs, they're still pretty big. The gang can see him, so they follow. But Billy puts on a clip and starts to run. Billy, don't! screams Alan. As he jumps over the edge, he releases his parachute to go get Eric, who has been attacked by the babies, remember. Billy flies himself close enough to where Eric is, and Eric jumps onto Billy. But the gang have new problems. A big birdie tries to get Alan and Amanda and Paul, while the rest of the flock start coming for Billy's parachute. Eric has to go down and fall into the water, otherwise they will both die right here. I'm getting the feeling that Eric is just bad luck, because the last parachute he was on also didn't really go so well. The others come to a dead end, but the walkway breaks and all of them fall into the water. But they're still in the part of the walkway that was like metal with guard railing and things like that. So they're still protected from the big birdie as they fall in. Billy gets stuck at a cliff's edge and he can't disengage, so he has to cut himself down and he falls straight into the water. But the pterodactyls, and yes I know, it's pterodactyls, start swarming him and picking him apart, piece by painful piece. Amanda and Eric make it to the gate at the bottom of the canyon and unlock the cage to get out. Billy screams for them to get away because Alan and Paul try to come and help, but Billy knows if they try and help, everyone will die. They all run and get away safely while we see the birds pecking at Billy. While one of the birdies looks at the gang like, mmm, dinner. They make it out of the cage and get to the boat and leave. And surprisingly, the engine on the boat still works with petrol and everything. Convenience, I don't know. Eric talks to Alan and says he's sorry about Billy. And Alan feels like cuck because the last thing he said was, you're as bad as the people who built this place. 
Also like to add another one to our kill count. I think that's four? Four. As they float along the lazy river, they see dinosaurs having a snack and coming to drink some water. And the theme song plays. As these giant herbivores come to greet this boat that is just passing by. Now I won't lie, I really don't like this movie. This movie frustrates me. But this part was nice. I liked it. It was good. I, it was a very good, like, clever use of the boat and the river and things like that. That night, they come across some really big piles of poop, which would be fine. You know, normal people would just keep going, but they hear something coming from one of the piles. And they're like, oh, God damn it. So they go towards the piles and the piles are still steaming. It's so gross. They have to go deep into the cock to find that phone before it stops ringing. They find it and move on, but on top of everything, it starts raining. Lovely. Alan tries to call the one person who can actually help in this situation. He calls Ellie, but her son, Charlie, picks up. It's a little loud, so Alan screams, Take the phone to mommy! It's the dinosaur man! But the boat gets bumped and Alan drops the phone. Spino Boy is back for vengeance! The boat also has a cage on it for some reason, but yeah, I'm not really sure why they don't ever explain it, but there's a cage on this boat. And I'm not just finding plot holes in the movie, I genuinely have no idea why there's a cage on the boat. But it's the safest place on the boat right now, because remember, Spino Boy is back with a vengeance. On the other side of the phone, Charlie gets distracted as he's trying to take the phone to his mother, because his mother's outside, and Charlie starts watching Barney. Love the irony, but Charlie, this is not the time to be playing games. The Spinosaurus is destroying this boat and trying to sink it. But before that happens, Alan is able to get the phone as it slides towards them. Spino Boy punctures the fuel tank and tips them over and drops the cage into the river. Alan manages to get one last word out before they all sink underwater before the phone breaks because he hears Ellie's voice. The river! The river! And the call cuts while Ellie screams, Alan! And Charlie is busy going, rah, 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 to his mother. Like, I love this kid, but now's not the time. They're all in the water now with the giant dinosaur, but Paul swims up to some place that looks kind of like a crane. Again, have no idea why it's there, but he climbs up to distract the Spino Boy. It works, kind of, because the Spinosaurus starts breaking the crane, but that obviously creates a new problem because Paul is on the crane. But Alan finds the emergency flare and shoots it at the big boy. Now remember, the water and the dinosaur are covered in oil, petrol, from when I said the big boy burst the fuel tank on the boat. So now everything is just on fire. But in the panic, the Spinosaurus knocks over the crane and gets burnt. But also, Paul. Paul Paul. Paul was still on the crane and was forced into the water. While Amanda and Eric are busy crying, screaming, No, you weren't supposed to go. How could you leave us? Dad. Paul emerges from the water like a pirated copy of Aquaman and says, I'm not going anywhere. I don't know what type of movie this is anymore. I, I really don't. Everyone is making up and getting along and they're hugging and God, I cannot stand this family. I hate them so much. They irritated me this whole movie. Uh. 
It's not ogre yet, though. Time just doesn't work in this movie because it was night. Like, literally, it was night when this happened. They didn't stop walking, and now it's day. It's fine. They come to a small clearing, and they get surrounded by raptors. The hunt is back on! They want the eggs. Otherwise, everyone would be dead already. Actually, they would have been dead a really long time ago, to be honest. But the point is, you know, don't challenge them right now. Amanda slowly takes the eggs out of the pack and it seems to help, but the raptors still like they want breakfast. So Alan uses the 3D printed resonator chamber to make them go away. I'm not really sure because they can see who's making the noise, but it's fine. It does help though because he can communicate with them. The raptors take their eggs in their mouth and go. But also they ran away because they hear a helicopter in the distance. Finally! How it happened? I have no idea. I'm not going to make it make sense. But apparently Ellie got through to someone. Not sure how she knew where to send everyone. Because all Alan said was the river. But I guess it worked out in the end. I don't know. They brought the whole army though. For three people. When they couldn't detect the plane flying over. I don't know what movie this is anymore. At this point. I'm just happy it's over. If I'm being honest. <laughs> But in some good news, Billy is on one of the helicopters and he's okay. Wounded and broken, but okay. He also rescued Alan's hat. His words, not mine. I swear this is real. I promise. I'm not just making this up. As they fly off, they see three pterodactyls flying alongside them. They had one job. Keep the dinosaurs there. Oh. The birdies fly off into the clouds and we hear that iconic music. Thus ending the trilogy, the original trilogy of Jurassic Park and the end of Jurassic Park 3. And with that, we are done with possibly, not possibly, this is my least favorite movie in the franchise. This might even be my least favorite movie ever, but I'm not sure. But even though I don't like it, I still go through it and try it, make it you know, funny for you rubbish things, you know? But genuinely, as much as I don't like it, talking about it is actually fun. This episode, just because I don't like the movie I'm talking about, doesn't mean that talking cuck about it isn't fun. I'm not gonna lie. But I try and do it for y'all, because, you know, not all heroes wear capes. But thank you so, so much for listening. I really do appreciate all the support you guys give the podcast. There is no podcast without people who listen to it. So I'm really the most thankful to everyone who does listen. Listened? Listen. If you enjoyed this one, please stay tuned for next week's episode where myself and Fayad pretty much talk cuck about this movie and pick it apart because that's when I actually can. This episode is more just explaining to you the plot, but when myself and Fayad, my guests for the season, talk about it, we can pick it apart, dissect it, make it look worse. Oh, we can't make it look worse. It's terrible. This movie, I, I hate this movie so much. <laughs> if you're in for a laugh, watch this movie. This movie, oh, God damn it. Because the, let's, let's be real, the both of us really don't like that this movie. So thank you guys so, so much. And I will see you, not really, but you'll hear from me next week. <laughs> Bye, everyone.